Acts 19 and verse 1 says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The King James Version says, Have you? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John, he indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. The Lord placed this passage of Scripture in my heart a few weeks ago when pastor asked me to preach in the service today. And in prayer, I felt the Lord gave me two questions to ask of this congregation today. And I will get to those two questions in just a moment. For now, the title of my message is simply this, Have You. Have You. And you may be seated. If one's mission is to obtain information and answers, a direct question is the best and the most straightforward approach. There is one popular fine dining establishment in Atlanta that is well known for loudly and boldly asking and repeating a question to obtain your order. What do you have? What do you have? What do you have? Do I have any Atlantans that know what I'm talking about today? Maybe not fine dining, but that's the famous varsity in downtown Atlanta. As a father of three young children, I am asked many questions many times a day. And do I have any parents that can testify to the nonstop barrage of questions from young children? Before the age of the internet, questions would often go unanswered. But now a, a quick question asked to Google, to Siri, to Alexa, and the answers can be found. Primarily speaking of prayer, the Bible has many references showing the value of asking a question. And James 4, 2 tells us that you have not because you ask not. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, in reference to prayer, ask, and it shall be given unto you. For everyone that asketh, they receiveth. I'm reminded that questions are how one learns. It's how one discovers. It's how one grows and how one receives. And as you read through the word of God, we see a few instances where asking and responding to the right question is how some are saved. In our opening text, we read about a series of questions of great importance and value by the Apostle Paul. And Acts 19 begins by telling us that Paul, he traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast. And at that time, the city of Ephesus had experienced tremendous growth being located on a number of important land and sea routes. And in inscriptions, Ephesus called itself the first and the greatest metropolis of Asia. The temple of Artemis 
which was outside the city wall, was the chief glory of the city. It's one of those seven ancient wonders of the world. But as a result, Ephesus had been influenced by magic and the cult of that goddess Artemis. But we read of Paul's profound impact on the city in Acts chapter 19. Verse 11 tells us that God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles in Ephesus. And verse 12, when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Verse 18, many who became believers, they confessed those sinful practices. And a number of them who had their, uh, been practicing sorcery, they brought their incantation books, burned them, and that public bonfire, the value, several million dollars. So, so uh, the verse 20 tells us the message about the Lord. It spread widely, and it had a powerful effect in Ephesus. And how many of you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it still works? Amen? Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, lives are saved, hearts are changed, and people, they will be healed and they will be delivered by the power of Jesus Christ. We believe that when we preach Jesus, that peace and hope and help will come. We believe that preaching Jesus will change a life. It will change a family. It will change a friend of ours. Amen. We believe that preaching Jesus can have a powerful effect at your school. Amen, students. At your college. At your place of work. And even on an entire city. And if it can happen in Ephesus, I believe that it can happen here in the city of Atlanta. Amen. That is why it must be preached and the gospel must be shared. But before that great revival took place in Ephesus, before many were converted to believers, before the healings and the evil spirits were expelled, before all of that, first... Questions were asked when Paul encountered this group of Jewish disciples. Notice that the Bible does not state that he stumbled upon this group of believers. It does not say that they were seeking him out. The Bible says that Paul, he found several believers. Paul was on a mission in Ephesus, and the fact that he found them indicates that he was searching for them. Amen. I know that not everyone is called to go to a foreign mission field, but wherever we go as the church, we have been reminded this month that we should go and we should be on mission. Amen? What would happen if we viewed work as more than work? What if we viewed school as more than an opportunity to get an education? What if the church was constantly on mission as Jesus Christ was to seek and to save the lost wherever we go? I do understand how easy it can be to get caught up with the routines of life and focusing on the, the task at hand. And that is why 
The Bible reminds us of our personal mission with scriptures like John 4.35 that instruct us to lift up our eyes. We have to have an eye-lifting moment and look out to those around us, to the fields, for they're already white for harvest. We live in a large metropolitan area, and we do not have a harvest shortage, but most often it comes down, amen, to a labor shortage. This is not a new problem for the church. That is why Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 9, 37, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. After a month focused on missions and the mission of the church, I feel the Lord laid it on my heart to remind our church once again that we must always be mission ready. No matter where we go, no matter what we are doing, we must be searching and we must be seeking out those who are lost. After we read that Paul found some disciples He begins to engage them with conversation, and he asks them two questions. Acts 19, 2 through 3, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to them, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And then he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. I don't know if if Paul first engaged in some small talk about the beautiful coastal weather in Ephesus. I don't know if he overheard their conversation or somehow identified them as believers. But Paul, he intentionally transitioned from that which was on the surface to something of great depth and spiritual significance in his conversation that day. And in order for there to be a potential conversion, at some point in your conversation, there must be a shifting from the physical to the spiritual. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that the power of life and death are in the tongue, and that cannot be more true for those who possess the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mentioned that the Lord put two questions on my heart to ask of this congregation today. And the first question is to this wonderful church family. And that question is simply this, have you asked? As pastor preached to the ends of the earth, he reminded us that the mission of the United Pentecostal Church International, which we are thankfully a part of, the whole gospel to the whole world, by the whole church. And the reason we identify and embrace this mission statement is because that was the commission and the commandment of Jesus Christ. Speaking to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19, he said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nation. Speaking to those disciples like us in Mark 16, 15, he said, go, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that is exactly what Paul was doing in Acts 19. And thank God he was obedient to the voice of God because we read one of the most tragic statements anyone could ever say in Acts 19 too. They said, we have not so much as heard. So we 
have not heard. Romans 10, 13 through 14 tells us that for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how then shall they call on him whom they have not yet believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I ask you again, church, today, have you asked? I fully support and and promote the importance of meeting people on common ground, amen, so that we can lead them to holy ground. And as we preach and teach here at Atlanta West, yes, we must sincerely invest in relationships. How many believe of the value of that? Yes, we believe in the power of prayer, and we must intercede over our friends and lost loved ones and those who are not in the truth. But there must come a point where we must ask, and we must invite, and we must lead them to holy ground. There must come a moment when others are presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ And that will only take place when you decide to specifically ask, have you? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit since you believed in Jesus Christ speaking in other tongues? How were you baptized and was it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as the scripture commands and illustrate? I felt compelled to remind our church that with every connection and with every relationship that God has allowed in our lives, that those who have not yet obeyed the plan of salvation must come a moment from you where you ask. Now, I truly understand the implications of of which I'm preaching today. Romans 1.16, Paul references the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. But knowing the obstacles and the challenges of preaching the gospel. He starts that verse off by saying that we as the church cannot be ashamed of this gospel. Amen. Now I know that most would not claim to be ashamed of the gospel here today. But I'm afraid in our current culture and climate, many are afraid of how others will respond to you preaching and presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that fear and that apprehension simply comes by focusing on the possibility of those friendships and those relationships in your life when they come in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ and them negatively responding to your presentation of the gospel. But church, I challenge you today to be more focused on how sharing the gospel could positively impact their salvation and eternity. Hear me today, the gospel is absolutely controversial. It calls for people to turn away from a life of sin, a life of relationships and habits, 
And that former life is all they know, and it's what they love, and it's what they are attached to, and what they are attracted to. And leaving that behind might sound absurd and foolish at first. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. When the Holy Ghost was first poured out, there were multiple responses. Acts 2.6, some were confused. Acts 2.7, some were amazed and marveled. Acts 2.12, others were amazed and perplexed and asked questions. And Acts 2.13, others mocked them. But Peter, he boldly responded with power and authority and his words pierced their hearts and those that received, those that believed were baptized and 3,000 were added to the church in one day. Our opening text in Acts 19, 8 through 10, we read that Paul, he spoke boldly in the synagogue reasoning and persuading the things of the kingdom of God and some were hardened when he asked of them what he had to say. Some did not believe. Some even went to the level of of speaking evil of him and his efforts, but that did not stop him. Verse 10 says he continued this for two years in this environment, but eventually all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus Church, there is no telling what God can and will do through you when we quit worrying about the potential problems and the negative responses of others and we start sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Will some believe and receive? Yes. Will others not believe? Will other friends and coworkers, will they not believe? And reject you and your message? Sadly, yes. But the last I checked, I couldn't find scriptures in the Bible that said that living for God and reaching the the world was going to be easy. In fact, I see quite the opposite. After Jesus is sending his 12 apostles out, he gives them a heads up in Matthew 10, 22. And he tells them, and you will be hated for all my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus Christ personally experienced this as well. It was foretold in Isaiah 53, 3, that he would be despised. He would be rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief because of who he was and because of what he proclaimed. But Jesus looked past the negative responses. He looked past the hurt that came from those that he ministered to. He looked past the rejection and he looked to the cross. And he knew that if he could endure that momentary cup of suffering, that he would conquer death, hell, and the grave. And that he could offer salvation to those who would receive and respond to the gospel. Church, the potential payoff of someone coming to Jesus Christ is much more than the possibility of pain, of rejection, and even the loss of friendship and acquaintance. 
Yes, I know this is a hard word. It's hard to comprehend and to accept. I know that real sacrifices may be required. But I would rather have the approval of Jesus Christ saying, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. I would rather one life be saved than lost. I would rather than being silent to win the approval of a friend, of a family, or a co-worker. I know this is a hard word today, but Luke 12, 8 through 9 tells us, I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Atlanta West, I want you to sincerely think with those that you are in contact with those and relationships in your life? Have you come to the point? Has there been that defining moment from moving from the temporal and the earthly to the spiritual where you have asked them, have you received since you believed? How were you baptized? It is so important for salvation. My second question is for those here today, those watching online that are guests, and new to our church. We're honored that you're here today and have been coming and attending. And we pray that you feel the love and the power of God in our services as you've interacted with our church. But I want you to know that there is more to what you have felt here today. There is a personal experience with God necessary for salvation that the Apostle Paul asked the believers about in my opening text. In regards to what Paul asked, my question to you today is this. Have you answered? Have you answered? The Apostle Paul was able to ask a direct question about the gospel because those particular individuals were in a correct spiritual position to be asked. The Bible says they were believers. And faith and belief in God will always be the starting point to relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, they must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith and belief, it is the starting point. But hear me today, faith is not the ending point. Amen. Belief is not the ending point. It is the start. There's so many wonderful and sincere people put their faith in Jesus Christ, just like the believers in Acts 19.10. But they stop, and they miss out on all that God has for them. But Paul and the apostles knew and preached that there is much more than faith and belief in God. That is why Paul asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And to what then were you baptized? That is why Jesus Christ himself mentioned that baptism and the Holy Ghost were essential to salvation when speaking to a man named Nicodemus in John 3, 3 and 5. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Please notice the importance of the scripture and the words of Jesus Christ in reference to entering heaven and the kingdom of God. He stated that you must be born of water, which is baptism, and born of spirit, which is receiving the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Now, most believers will agree on the necessity of this passage, but many will not agree on the application of this passage. They disagree with how to be baptized and how and when one receives the Holy Spirit. But hear me today, the application of the gospel, it is not a matter of opinion. It is not a matter of style or denominal preference or personal interpretation. Amen. We don't preach and teach a brand of religion at this church. We are apostolic Pentecostal because of our belief in looking back to the scriptures to see what Jesus taught, to see what his apostles taught, and how that first church obeyed and applied the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we should all desire to know how they actually applied those teachings in the Bible. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that Jesus died and was buried, and he rose again for our salvation. And we look to the book of Acts for the way that we should respond. We read about the birth of the first church in Acts and the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 38 through 39 on the day of Pentecost, Peter, he preached the gospel. Then Peter said to them, repent. That's the first step. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he goes on to say, which is very important, for this promise it's to you. And it's to your children. And it's to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. Note that Peter said that this experience of repenting, of being baptized in Jesus' name and received the Holy Spirit was not relegated to the book of Acts or to the New Testament of your Bible. It was for them that day and to their children and to all that are afar off. And then what took place in the lives of 3,000 people that day continue to this day with millions and millions of people experiencing the Pentecost all over the world. It is in this way that we identify with Christ's death and his burial and his resurrection. I want you to see how today as well they received the Holy Spirit in Acts 19. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Notice in Acts 2.4 on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 10 44 to 46, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is necessary, amen, for salvation, had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Speaking in tongues means speaking supernaturally as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance 
or the ability in a language that you or the speaker has never learned. I want to be completely clear today that there is a big difference between feeling the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because I'm thirsty, a quick illustration. If you were thirsty, this is a big difference in me pouring out water upon you and you drinking the water and it being inside of you. Amen? Amen. And the undeniable evidence, the sign that God chose to show when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, initial filling of the Holy Spirit, it is speaking with other tongues. Amen? It did not happen any other way in your Bible. Amen? We should always expect speaking in tongues when someone receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit by speaking in other tongues according to the word of God, you have not received the Holy Spirit according to the word of God. But when you do receive the Holy Spirit, it will be the best thing that has ever happened to you, amen. You will have power to overcome sin, to have power to live a holy life as you let the Spirit fill you. You will bear the fruit of the Spirit. You will become Christ-like, amen. I urge you today to sincerely answer this important question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues since you believed. Have you answered? And I want you to know that it also matters if and how you were baptized. In Romans 6, 1 through 4, Paul said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How should we who have died to sin Live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized in his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see again the importance of first repenting and turning away from your sins and not continuing in your sin. Amen. There should be a significant life change and forsaking of your own life when you come to Jesus Christ in repentance. But then the Paul says that we are buried with him, with Jesus Christ, through baptism, that we identify with the gospel, with the burial of Jesus Christ when we are baptized. Amen. And please also note that he said that we are buried with him and not them. He references a singular person with a very specific name. The Bible clearly teaches that there is only one God. Amen. And his name is Jesus. Acts 4.12 says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. Amen. How many believe this today? Under heaven, given among men whereby we must be saved. Please know Jesus Christ is the one 
who died for your sins. Note that the Bible says you must be baptized with Jesus Christ. Note that the Bible says that there is only one name that can be called, uttered over you when you are baptized to authorize the power and the authority to remove your sins and to save you. And it says we must do this to be saved. I want you to know, church, and guess today that Jesus Christ and the disciples, they were all on the same page about baptism. There is no confusion or inconsistencies in the Bible. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And notice that Jesus says, baptize them in the name. He did not say names with an S on the end. It was not plural. He said in the name, one singular name. As you study and read the Bible, you will quickly find many references that the name of the Father is Jesus, and the name of the Son is Jesus, and the name of the Holy Spirit, it is Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are wonderful titles that we use to describe Jesus Christ. But as we recently read, the power and the authority to make a spiritual transaction for salvation only takes place when you call and you say the name of Jesus. For further example, I am blessed to be a father to three wonderful children, and I am a son to my wonderful parents. I'm also a brother and a husband and a minister, and these are all appropriate titles that, that I embrace and others use at times to reference me. But on my birth certificate and on my driver's license, I have a legal name, which is Joel Keith Johns. And when it came time for me to buy a house and to purchase a car and to put a signature on a contract, I would have been rejected if I put down father, son, husband, or brother. Those are appropriate titles for me, but there is only one name that I can put down that has significance and that has authority, and that is my name. And Jesus and the disciples and the apostles were on the same page. They understood what Jesus instructed, and that is when it came to baptize. They obeyed him, and they called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are thankful for the name of Jesus, can you clap your hands to the Lord and can you thank him today? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Have you answered? 